Now today, as we are celebrating Christmas season, this is actually our Christmas service. Uh, we have a guest speaker. Actually, for some of you, you probably know him because when I started ministry here way back in 1985, uh, he was with me as one of our associate pastors. Uh, we had Pastor Jurem Ramos, we had Pastor Ricky Benitez, and of course, this brother whom I will be introducing to you in a bit. Uh, he was handling our youth ministry at that time, and some of those uh, people who joined the youth ministry uh, became pastors, they became musicians, some of them became worship leaders and self-servants. So the Lord bore uh, so much fruit with that ministry, and so we're really thankful to God for what uh, he had accomplished through this brother. Uh, this brother and I go a long way. Uh, the first time I met him, uh, my mother-in-law, I wasn't married yet, but um, my mother-in-law, her car broke down, and uh, this kind brother uh, assisted and helped my mother-in-law with her car so that he got it up and running. And so that was the first time I got to meet him and ever since that time, I never imagined that we would be partners in the work of the Lord. Of now, of late, uh, he is presently a preaching elder at CCF uh, Gateway, that's in Cobao, and also uh, in Eastwood as well. So allow me uh, and allow us to welcome once again in our midst my former associate pastor, Pastor Bibo Montaña. Let's give the Lord a big hand for him. Good morning. Allow me to just uh, complete that story because after that time that I fixed uh, uh, his mother-in-law's car, uh, I don't think he, he ever rode with me uh, ever again. No, I'm just kidding. Because of my driving, uh, my, my driving method. So uh, I think that's the problem when you drive too fast. Uh, Merry Christmas to each and everyone, and uh, I would uh, entitle this message as Messiah Disturbs Christmas. Uh, if there was something that would bother me when I was still young, and when I was about four or five or six years old, uh, I would always be bothered by the fact that uh, during Christmas, uh, at 12 midnight, you know, uh, we usually go to sleep early when we're young. And, uh, you know, my grandmother, or even my mother at the time, would wake us up at 12 midnight. Can you imagine that? And uh, it was so difficult to wake up, he would force us to eat the noche buena, you know. And then after that, I would immediately go back to sleep. Uh, it would be sometime later on that I would truly enjoy noche buena because uh, I would be going into all sorts of, uh, uh, you know, uh, parties or something to that effect. But nevertheless, I was wondering what's all with these rituals. And uh, I realized as, as, I, as I was doing my research, uh, let, let me give you a, a little bit of history. I, I love history. Anybody here who loves history? The rest, you don't like history. So I will not just say it anymore. <laughs> just kidding. Uh, when it comes to the date of Christ's birth, I think what, ha what we have to understand is the fact that this system of accounting for time in the Greco-Roman world was established from the city of Rome. It, it started, rather, from the establishment of the city of Rome, and they call it uh, Anno Urbes Condite, or shorter form of that Latin word is Ab Urbe Condita. Let's all say that, Ab Urbe Condita. Okay, it means from the foundation of the city. And uh, what happened was that there was this guy named Dionysius Exegus in AD 525, much, much later. He started to, uh, uh, to assume that the birth of Christ was December 25, 753 Ab Urbe Condita. So Dionysius started his calendar with January 1, Anno Domini, which means in the year of the Lord. And so when that happened, 754 Ab Urbe Condita became AD 1, Anno Domini, of the Christian 
era. And of course, we're all familiar with B.C., before Christ, and Anno Domini. So B.C. counts backward, you know, 5 B.C., 4 B.C., 3, 2, 1 B.C., then it becomes 1 A.D., uh, and so on and so forth. And uh, this was because it came from this Gregorian, or th this was the Gregorian calendar. But right now, many of those who are offended by the name of Christ would now use the word B.C.E. or C.E., which means before the common era, or for A.D., Anno Domini, they, sub they substituted it with C.E., common era. And so what happened was that 750 Aburbe Condita was the year of Herod's death, which was on or before the Passover in 4 BC. So it is four to six years off. And so even a Jewish historian, Josephus, says that Herod died on April of that year, 750 Aburbe Condita. And so uh, even Matthew chapter 2 places Christ's birth prior to ordering the slaughter of the two-year-old male children and prior to Herod's death. And so uh, it is four years off. And even uh, Luke chapter 2 speaks about a census ordered by uh, Quirinus. Uh, there were two censuses. One was before, uh, before the death of Herod and after the death of Herod. And so... Um, this sort of brings us to the reality that Christ's birth may have been uh, in the summer or early fall between 6 and 4 BC. And obviously, the shepherds out in the fields would make us realize that you cannot be out in the fields in winter. It is uh, sort of an impossibility. Uh, if you want to try what it means to be cold, uh, yeah, I think you should... If you can live in a place that really has winter, you cannot be out on the fields. No matter how thick your clothing is, it is very difficult. And so, I'm not saying that, you know, you know when I realized this, I, I, wasn't, you know, I didn't mean that we should just, you know, uh, uh, not uh, do these traditions and rituals. As even Romans uh, chapter 14, verse 5 says, you can have... Uh, special days that you can commemorate or whatever. Nothing wrong with that. But I just wanted us to understand a context of this, that Christmas should not be a certain uh, date or a certain month alone. Christmas should be every day of our lives as we understand with the song that was sung a while ago that Christmas is actually about the cross and the empty tomb. Amen? At this moment, let's all rise as we read Matthew chapter 2. Let's just give reverence to the reading of Scripture. All together, please. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who was to be born King of the Jews? In the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was served in all Jerusalem with him. When he called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. Bethlehem in Judea, they replied. For this is what the prophet has written. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and the vicinity who were two years old under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father, Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew in the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So it was fulfilled that what was said through the prophets he will be called a Nazarene. Please join me in a short word of prayer. Father, we ask that you would just warm our hearts with your presence. We pray that as we listen to your word, as we meditate 
upon your word, Father. May you truly minister to our specific circumstances, our individual situations, whatever challenges we are going through. O Holy Spirit, we trust that you will speak to each and every one of us. And Father, we just commit you, our households, our loved ones. May your mightiest angels be encamped all around each and every one of them. And Father, allow our minds and our hearts to be focused in your word this morning. In the name of your Son, our Savior, and Lord Jesus Christ, with the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's all be seated. And so we have here a situation which we are all familiar with. We've read the scriptures. We've heard this time and time again. Even as children, we, we were practically brought up in these stories, these narratives. But I think if there is something we have to realize is that there were different responses, different reactions to the arrival of the Messiah. And I, I cannot discuss everything. There are other stories uh, that deal with the arriving of our Messiah, but let's just deal with four of these responses quickly. And the first thing that we will notice is what I would call the Herodian response. Let's all say that word Herodian response. So that phrase, in a sense, immediately gives us an idea of what happened. When King Herod heard this, meaning the arrival, the arrival of the Magi, he was disturbed. Let's all say the word disturbed. All Jerusalem with him. And I think that's essentially the gist of his reaction. He was disturbed. We're all disturbed, one way or another. All Jerusalem was disturbed. Because when Messiah comes, definitely we will be disturbed. Obviously, in this case, Herod was disturbed negatively. And uh, what happened was that not just him, all Jerusalem was disturbed. And uh, what happened was that he called all the priests, the chief priests and teachers of the law and asked them where the Christ was to be born. And uh, what we see here is not really a serious heartfelt inquiry on the veracity of these statements from the Magi. Actually, uh, Herod was disturbed in a negative way because uh, he was starting to immediately scheme. Can you imagine the first time he hears about this incident, his immediate reaction was to scheme, to strategize. And uh, what happened was that he tried to find out uh, from the Magi secretly when the star appeared. And now he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child as soon as you find him. Report to me so that I too may go and worship him. And that's what we see in these verses. And so uh, what we understand is that there was something about Herod. He was a schemer, a plotter, a strategist. He was born in 74 BC, died in uh, around 4 BC, shortly after the birth of Jesus. And uh, what happened was that after three years of fighting against the Parthians who had invaded Syria and Palestine, Herod ascended to the throne. And just quickly, Herod was not the rightful king from the line of David. In fact, he was not even a descendant of Jacob but was descended from Esau and thus was an Edomite. He was appointed creator of uh, Judea by Julius Caesar himself. Just, that's what started the Herodian dynasty. And he, was bef he befriended Mark Antony, who with Octavius had defeated Brutus and Cassius at Philippi because Julius Caesar was assassinated at the Senate. And so Mark Antony and Octavius fought the enemies, those who assassinated Julius Caesar and uh, obviously they won uh, and they, uh, they uh, gave the Senate an advice that Herod would be called king of the Jews. Here we understand the political savvy and all these abilities and talents of Herod because despite the fact that Octavius 
who became Caesar Augustus, uh, was already, uh, you know, in, you know, he was in, an opponent right now of Mark Anthony and Cleopatra. He was able to convince Octavius, or rather, uh, yes, Augustus, Caesar Augustus, that he was on his side. And of course, Anthony and Cleopatra were defeated. That's why, uh, as we all know, Elizabeth Ramsey would always say the term, you know, that magapatuka na lang ako sa ahas. That's where it came from. <laughs> Herod tried to regain the favor of the Jewish people because he was having all these problems of rebellion, uprising, opposition. And so he rebuilt Herodeum, uh, Jerusalem Temple, and even the military installation of Masada. And he freed Palestine from invasion. But he never achieved favor with the Jewish people because he was a mongrel, or in another term, mistisong hudyo. Of course, we don't understand that here in our country. We really look up to people with patrician noses, those who have, you know, all these uh, uh, semblances of our colonial past. But during, I mean, in, in Jewish mentality and culture, they look down on those who are of mixed blood. And so he never achieved favor. And now, let's look at the, the, the character of Herod. He had ten wives, just quickly, and you know, he, he put to death several of his own children and some of his wives who were plotting against him, torturing his son's friends, and you know, he even executed his two sons, uh, the two sons of his favorite wife, Mariam, by strangulation, one of the most painful deaths. And obviously, you know, even Augustus would say that it would be better to be a sow or a pig in Herod's household than to be his son. You had a better chance of surviving in that community. Five days before Herod expired, his son Antipater was ordered to be executed. And of course, he gathered all the leading Jews of his territory uh, to his palace, imprisoned them, giving orders that they were all to be killed. The moment he died, and he wanted to ensure that there would be national mourning at his death rather than rejoicing. Now you understand that when Herod had those children killed in Bethlehem, that was nothing. Sorry for the long history. I just want us to get a grasp of who Herod was. He was definitely demonically influenced. And this was nothing. Having children killed, that was nothing. The issue is, how are we responding to Messiah being revealed? Are we opposing Messiah? Are we reacting negatively against Messiah? Are we protecting our turf? whatever that turf is. Because we do not want Messiah to destroy or to affect and disturb our comfort zone. Friends, we all have sinful tendencies. There is a Herod in each and every one of us manifested in different categories, different dimensions, different intensities, but definitely there is a Herod inside each and every one of us. Can you tell your seatmate, there is a Herod in you? The more with you. The Maguindanao massacre uh, court hearing wherein the sentence was already given brought us once again to that reality. We all have a sinful nature. We can all be murderous. We can all be insecure. We can all be envious for power, for material things. We have a Herod within each and every one of us. The issue is, do we recognize it? Are we responding with the Herodian response? The next thing I would like us to put emphasis on is the ritualistic response. Let's, say all, let's all say this phrase, ritualistic response. All together. 
Now, oftentimes we think that, you know, oh, I'm not really uh, in a ritualistic response towards Messiah, but look at what happened. All these chief priests, teachers of the law, they knew. They knew where Messiah was going to be born. Bethlehem. They understood what, it, what Scripture was speaking about, but, you know, it was just like, you know, a dutiful response, a bored response, uninterested response. Been there, seen it, done that. Oh, we know it. The Scriptures, it's there. But were they looking for Messiah? Were they waiting for Messiah? What were they concerned with? Their garb, their accoutrements, their accessories, their gold-hemmed robes, the reputation that as they would go through the streets of Jerusalem or wherever these religious leaders would go, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, the Levitical priesthood, Wherever they would go and it was a time for prayer, they would stop, whether it was in the middle of the road, in one corner, one busy street, and they would all pray. The ritualistic response, despite the fact that they knew in Daniel chapter 9, that you could actually predict, you could actually estimate more, more or less. Just read this on your own. It's a lengthy chapter. If you can read the entire chapter, you could estimate the arrival of Messiah. From the point that a command will come to build Jerusalem, you can start counting. For 34 years, the appointed leader will be killed. You can even estimate when Messiah was going to be killed. But the ritualistic response was unimaginable in its apathy. Because they could not give credence to the Word of God. And oftentimes, isn't that our response to the Lord revealing Himself to us? The Lord is revealing Himself through His Word, the Bible. Who amongst you here brought an actual Bible? Raise your hand. Uh, we really are in the internet age, huh? Eh? 90% brought an electronic Bible. Raise your hands. Electronic Bible. The question is, are we in a ritualistic response? Been there, seen it, done that. I've been through several Christmas occasions several seasons of celebrating the birth of Christ. I like what A.W. Tozer said, Christians don't tell lies, they just go to church and sing them. The church that can't worship must be entertained, and men who can't lead a church to worship must provide the entertainment. And I think that's something we uh, oftentimes don't understand, that this is crucial. Are we in a ritualistic response? Pastor Mel mentioned a while ago that, you know, I was his associate during those times. And uh, I think this is confession time. I, I was once a, a praise and worship leader. Yeah, b- believe me, I am. Or I was. <laughs> and uh, during that time, you know, we were in all sorts of uh, activities. And uh, during that time, I was single. So when you're single, uh, we call ourselves, uh, you know, nagpapakyut, bisag akyut. <laughs> you are, you know, uh, trying to woo. Uh, uh, and, uh, you know, trying to be cute to the opposite sex. And during that time, you know, I was uh, still uh, wooing my wife-to-be, my girlfriend back then, and... It came, came home late, very late. The next day, I was going to lead praise and worship. So I remember, okay, I stick to my story. <laughs> I remember setting my alarm. <laughs> Problem was I did not wake up. I wasn't able to wake up. 
So we we woke up late. We run to the center. I think that was still in UP, Cebu. And upon arrival there, uh, Pastor Mel obviously was upset. And, uh, you know, uh, we now just laugh about it. But sometimes I ask myself the question, am I, you know, back then I realized that I wasn't really that intense. I, I was in a ritualistic mo- mode. I was in the, you know, the, the, the motions. But I wasn't really serious because if I asked myself that question, if I was going to meet the president of a multinational company, or maybe the, the mayor of the city of Cebu, or even the president of the Philippines, what would I do? What would we do? We'd set up our alarms, you know, not just once, you'll probably have two to three alarms just to make sure all your clothes are ironed out, everything is fixed. And I realized we can easily slip into this ritualistic response. And uh, I think that was one of the first times that uh, when we missed that praise and worship time, uh, I think that was the first and probably the last that Pastor Mel led praise and worship. I don't know if he was able to uh, lead praise and worship ever again. (laughs) But we ask ourselves that question. Are we into the rituals once again? Now let's move to the third response here. The Magian response. And what we see here is that the Magi from the East, you know, they were, they came all the way from what we now know as Iran and Iraq, the area of the Persian Empire. And these Magi were practically, you know, uh, receiving revelation from Jewish documents, Old Testament manuscripts, and even Balaam's prophecy was most, uh, uh, you know, it was known to them, and even Daniel chapter 9, uh, the, these Magi, uh, they were from the, um, they were a Median tribe in Persia, they were Zoroasters, another religious belief, but after an unsuccessful rebellion against the Persians, you know, they, were, they became a priestly tribe, much like the Levites of Israel, and uh, became familiar with the Jewish hope of Messiah. And they traveled all the way from the area of Iran, Iraq, which is uh, on that part with the name Elam uh, or Media. And they traveled all the way to Israel. Even Tacitus in history says that there was a, this... These ancient writings of the priests contains, containing a prediction that about the time there would be someone with power. Even Suetonius, in one of his writings, said that there was this phenomena of something pointing to that king. The star, a signal given by heaven of the birth of the Christ or the Messiah. And so when we look at the Magian response, obviously, it was a response of unconditional, sacrificial worship. And that's something we should ask ourselves. Are we truly responding to these revelations of Christ into our lives? Are we responding to Jesus with the response of worship? I mean, we see, I was here yesterday and they were practicing. And obviously, the worship team, they practice, you know, uh, all these uh, preparations for worship. But oftentimes, we come and we have this, you know, notion that, you know, oh, it's just praise and worship. I'm not yet late. Friends, do we truly understand what it means to be in an attitude of unconditional and sacrificial worship. What we see here is a worship that had sacrifice. They weren't visiting Jesus Christ, the manger. They weren't going there without a sacrificial gift. They brought gold, incense, mirror. Sacrificial gifts for the Messiah that was going to be born. And you notice that they were warned in a dream. 
not to go back to Herod. And obviously we see that it is these attitudes of worship, these attitudes of sacrifice towards the presence of God, towards the revelation of God that brings us into a realization of God's power, God's protection, and God's guidance. I like what A.W. Tozer said. Maybe we can all read this. Any man or woman on this earth who is bored and if you're not worshiping God on Monday, perhaps you're not worshiping Him. Are we bored with worship? Are we into these rituals once again? Or do we truly understand what worship really means? It means sacrifice. But oftentimes, you know, it's okay for us to be late. Now, now I'm not saying that there are no valid reasons to be late for service. But what I'm saying is this. Do we treasure, do we value this privilege experience the intimacy of Jesus Christ, the presence of Jesus Christ, the nearness of Jesus Christ? Or are we born? Another response that I would like us to emphasize on is the shepherd's response. It was something that was so awe-inspiring. Because as, G, as Mary gave birth, wrapped the baby, Jesus Christ, in cloths, laid him in a manger, it says in verse 8 that there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And the first thing I will notice here is faithfulness. Let's all say the word faithfulness. They were faithful. Many scholars believe that they were from the Levitical priesthood. They were what we call temple shepherds. And they were there for a very important purpose. They were there to take care of the sheep that was going to be offered as a sacrifice in the temple. And they were not looking at their task as some minute, puny obligation. No. It was a very important job. They were out there in the fields keeping watch over the flock and God rewarded this faithfulness. God rewarded this faithfulness. Because it says here that there was a revelation, there was a fullness of a revelation, an expose of epic proportions, and that's what we experience here. It says that this angel brought them a very important message about Jesus Christ. The angel said, do not be afraid, for behold, I will bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior, who is the Christ, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God, saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. Probably one of the most fantastic revelations. It even rivals the revelation to Mary. It even rivals the revelation to Magi. It even rivals the revelation to Simon and Anna. Simple shepherd folk. But they did not look at their work as something that was simple, something that was ordinary. They looked at it that, as something that was a priestly responsibility. And oftentimes, we want the fullness of God's revelation. We want God to move in a special way, to guide us with wisdom, with His knowledge, to lead us, to protect us, etc., etc., but we're not willing to put in the faithfulness. Faithfulness in the little thing. 
faithfulness in our jobs, faithfulness in our clerical work, faithfulness in our janitorial work, faithfulness in our engineering jobs, faithfulness in our professions, in our careers. Then, God is honored when we think in terms of how can I glorify God in what I do. And the response of the shepherd, once again, can be described as faith, obedient. Or obedient faith. Because it says that they said to one another, let's go straight to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. Let's read verse 16 altogether. So they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. There was no delay. There was you know, no dilly-dallying. They went to the manger immediately. They knew this because they were Levitical temple shepherds. They understood where it was going to happen. We have here some images on how a watchtower looks like. It says here in Micah 4.8 that, that as for you, O watchtower of the flock, in Hebrew it's called Migdal Eder, and this, this literally means flock tower, a tower near Bethlehem. And the, these are just examples, of course. I don't think these towers would survive thousands of years. And these are just examples of how they look like. And uh, it, it, it's exactly here that they would watch over the flock around Bethlehem because these were sheep and cows and goats that were going to be offered in the temple. And that's exactly where the shepherds knew where these pregnant sheep would give birth. And normally, it would be on the lower areas, the lower uh, areas of these towers. There would be, sometimes there would be huge caves wherein they would give birth. It was special because this was where they would raise lambs for the Jewish temple in the nearby city of Jerusalem. It was the birthing room for sacrificial lambs. Now, why is this so important? Because in Exodus chapter 22, verse 30, it says that after eight days, these sheep will be offered in the temple. After eight days. And so, within that period of time, they had to make sure that these sheep these lambs, these ewe lambs, would have no defect. They would have no defect. It says there that they should have no defect because they were symbolically portraying the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. It was portraying Jesus Christ. That's why it had to be a lamb without defect. It must be perfect to be accepted. There shall be no defect in it. And to elaborate on that, it says that those that are blind, fractured, or maimed, or they have a sore, eczema, or scabs, or overgrown or stunted members, bruised, crushed, torn, or cut, you shall not offer it to the Lord. So if you look at your seatmate and there's a blemish, may pimple ba yan? Hindi pwede. Yung seatmate mo. May peklap ba yan? You cannot be offered as a lamb if you had a blemish. And so what they would do is that they would wrap this newborn lamb in swaddling clothes. Place them in the manger until they calm down to keep them without defect. Suitable to be sacrificial lambs for the sin of the Israelites. The shepherds knew where to go. They knew where to go. 
But this time, they were puzzled. Because all their lives, they have seen these lambs and they would wrap these newborn lambs in cloths so that they would not trash around or the mother or other sheep would not accidentally step on them. And so they would wrap them and put them in a manger so that they would be without defect. No wounds, no bruises, no broken bones whatsoever as a sacrifice. And here they were looking for this manger. And lo and behold, they see a baby wrapped in cloth. They knew that that baby was going to be sacrificed. That baby was going to be killed. They would do that all the time. On the eighth day, they would get that lamb, lay their hands on the lamb, symbolically transfer their sins to the lamb before the lamb would be killed and then the blood and the flesh of the lamb would be burned on a bronze altar as a sacrifice. That's why John the Baptist when he met Jesus Christ, what did John the Baptist say? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. One of the most fantastic revelations. The shepherds who were faithful. I like what Martin Luther said. Let's all read this, please, all together. The mystery of the humanity of Christ that He sunk Himself into our flesh is beyond all human understanding. It is something that is so incomprehensible. Because no one thinks how much blood it costs. No one thinks how much blood costs to redeem us that's why Jesus had to sink himself into this humanity so that the justice of God would meet the love and the grace of God because it's difficult to make these things meet God is holy God is pure God demands justice Hindi pwedeng sorry na lang. Dilimahin mo. I mean, we, we, we've seen this. Even Magindanao Massacre, you can't just say, you know, I'm sorry. We killed 58 people. You can't. Justice has to be met. And we're all sinners. We have all failed God. In one way or another, different dimensions, different intensities, but we've all failed God. Issue is, who's going to pay? We deserve to be punished in an eternity of separation from God. We deserve to be punished in hell. But for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, and whoever believes shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And I think that is something we must always be reminded about. That's Christmas. I love the songs here. They're not the usual, you know, they shall focus on the, the surrounding events of Christmas. It refocuses us to the real essence of what Christmas is. So that this baby who was wrapped in cloths would someday 
be wrapped in burial cloths because He wants us to have forgiveness. No one thinks how much blood it costs. In fact, if I would look into my most joyous Christmas, it would be during those times when I had nothing. I was talking to Pastor Mel yesterday and I said, you know what? 35 years ago, 40 years ago, this ministry right now was incomprehensible, unimaginable. 30 years ago, I didn't even know that Dr. Ridulia sings. I will never forget Dr. Ridulia and the other wife. Never, never forget. You know why? The first time I used the word ulam, I pronounced it as iwilam. So when I went down the stage, he brought me aside, bro, it's pronounced you. That's why I'll never forget you, doc. <laughs> you know, when he circumcised my son, he was wearing this, you know, he had this beard and he was wearing this uh, head, uh, I don't know what that was, Doc, a head cover or something. He really looked like a Jewish priest. And he was circumcising my son on the eighth day. (laughs) How biblical can you get? Cebu would never be something light on my heart. It will always be a warm place for me. I didn't just meet my beautiful wife here in Cebu. Uh, she's the reason why I was not able to wake up on that day that Pastor Mel led praise and worship. Uh, Kidding aside, the first few years that I was here, I remember there was nothing in my pocket, no money whatsoever, and I had to go to a Bible study. It was raining so hard, and... uh, what I did was I had to go to that Bible study, so I prepared myself. I waxed my shoes, made sure that it would be semi-waterproof, and I wore my raincoat, got my umbrella, and I started walking to my Bible study. Arriving in that Bible study, lo and behold, it was strange. They didn't give me a love offering, so don't worry, I've forgiven them. Yeah. So I walked back, because I didn't have anything. So I, I, was, I was wondering why I was filled with so much joy, so much peace. I was worshiping God. I was praising the Lord. And there was nothing in my pocket. That was strange because I was brought up by my father on a silver spoon. Or rather, with a silver spoon. And I, you know, I had practically everything. I had two cars. I was into drag racing. I was driving like crazy. Baguio for me then was three hours. That's why Pastor Mel never rode with me again. But when I went into the full-time ministry, I gave up all these things. And here I was in Cebu. I had so much joy despite the fact that I didn't have anything in my pocket. Whereas when I had a lot of material things, I didn't have joy, I didn't have peace, I didn't have the love of God. And you ask yourself the question, what's Christmas? Finally, the shepherds fully proclaim and praise God for that revelation. It says here that they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. 
Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. The shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as had been told. Probably, probably, the first to proclaim and evangelize the birth of the Messiah. Friends, do we have this attitude? Are we responding this way to Messiah? He's disturbing us. But are we responding? The shepherds respond. Are we sharing the gospel? Are we proclaiming His praise? Every time I ride a grab or a taxi, I make sure I share the gospel. Because for me, that is a responsibility. If you're seated beside me and there's an opportunity to share the gospel, I will share the gospel. I I fill up my gas tank in one specific gas station because I want to get to know the names of these gas attendants. When I meet them, I greet them by name because later on I have this plan to share the gospel. Friends, do we go to our offices and go through it like a you know, nine to five kind of a thing? Or do we think in terms of how can I strategically share the gospel? Little by little. To our loved ones, to our suppliers in business, to our clients. Are we sharing the gospel? Because that's exactly what these shepherds did. They fully proclaimed the good news that there's this child wrapped with cloths and a manger who will save us from our sins because our real problem is not our finances. Our real problem is not our physical ailments. Our real problem is not all these troubles around, around us. Our real problem is sin. That's what Jesus wanted to reach. I remember the life of a pastor named Philip Brooks. He was ministering at a very sad moment in the history of the United States because they were going through the Civil War and Pastor Philip Brooks was physically and spiritually tired. The national spirit was dying. According to this author, soldiers were being slaughtered on the field. Darkness fell over every facet of the services in the church. Everyone wanted the war to end. And even when it finally ended, Philip, Philip Brooks still felt his life and soul was still in a very low, depressed state. Little did he know that, little did he know that it would even become worse because President Abraham Lincoln was assassinated and he had to officiate the funeral service of Abraham Lincoln. You see, friends, life is not going to be perfect. It will never be perfect. There will be moments of highs, yes, but there will be moments of lows. We all have our fears, our disappointments. We face tragedy. Even in my personal life, we as a family, we're going through a lot of problems. Most of my kids are grown up in their mid-twenties and above. And 
oftentimes I see their spiritual lives not in a condition that I would expect it to be. Pastor Mel knows the challenges we go through in our family. But I think what we have to understand is this. God will never leave us. He will never forsake us. And even this pastor, it wasn't so easy. One time he had a privilege to visit Israel, the Holy Land. And as he saw Jerusalem, as he saw the land where our Savior was born and lived and died, for some reason, he was renewed. The dark days ended. His life was dramatically changed by this encounter with Jesus of Bethlehem. The joy of his life returned. As he came back from his sabbatical in 1868, he remembered riding into Bethlehem at dusk. And he wrote a poem, and he took that poem to Lewis Redner, his organist and musician. And he came up with a song. The song goes, Oh, little town of Bethlehem, how still we see the light above thy deep and dreamless sleep. Silent stars go by, yet in thy dark streets shine the everlasting light. Hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. For Christ is born of Mary and gathered all above. While mortals sleep, the angels keep their watch of wandering love. O morning stars together, Proclaim the holy birth. Praises sing to God the King and peace to men on earth. How silently, how silently the wondrous gift is given. So God imparts to human hearts the blessings of his heaven. No ear may hear his coming, but in this world of sin, where meek souls will receive him still, the dear Christ enters in. The holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in. Be born to us today. We hear the Christmas angel. The great glad tidings tell, Oh, come to us, abide with our Lord. Friends, Bethlehem is not a place. You don't have to go to Bethlehem. The Lord of Bethlehem has to come to our heart. Then we will understand what Christmas is all about. Not the accoutrements. It's not the peripherals of our existence. It's a core, it's an ethos, it's the center of our intimacy with Jesus Christ. As C.S. Lewis in what he wrote in the last battle, Chronicles of Narnia, it seems then, said Tyrion, that the stable scene from within and the stable scene from without are two different places. Yes, said Lord Diggory, its inside is bigger than its outside. Yes, said Queen Lucy, in our world too, a stable once had something inside it that was bigger than our whole world. 
I really love the title of Pastor Mel's book because enough is. In fact, I like his second title of his upcoming book because Jesus is more than enough. rise as we come be forgotten. Heavenly Father, we ask for your forgiveness. If we have not responded to the revelation of Messiah in your word, if we have not responded properly, Lord, we ask for your forgiveness. We know, Lord, that we are unworthy. We do not deserve your love. We have failed you in many ways in our mind, We have sinned against you in our hearts, in our words, in our actions. We know, O God, that we deserve an eternity of separation from you. We deserve eternal punishment. We know that there is a Herod in each and every one of us. But Lord, you did something on that cross. You were born in a manger. You were wrapped in swaddling cloths. When you were born, you lived a life of righteousness. And once again, as you went to that cross and died, you were wrapped in those linen cloths because you wanted us to have forgiveness. You wanted us to have a transformation within. You wanted us to experience your love. Lord Jesus, forgive us. Come into our hearts, O Lord. Rule our lives. Be the master. Be the king. Be the Lord of our beings. And Father, we go through this season and we will admit, Lord, that it is not easy. Many of us are going through challenges. Many of us, oh Lord, are going through all sorts of painful unexpected tragedies. Many of us are going through these disappointments and frustrations. Many of us are going through physical pain. But Lord, we believe that you are able to do above and beyond all that we could ever ask or think of. We believe, Lord God, that you will provide all our needs according to your riches and glory. We believe, Lord God, that you are the Lord who will heal us. We believe, Lord, that you will fix our families, our relationships, O God, because we look to the lamb wrapped in cloths. The Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, wrapped in cloths. Lord, we know that you will never leave us. You will never forsake us. And even right now, O God, as we go through this season, as we go through these celebrations, may we not forget, O God, that you will be with us to the end of the age. You are Emmanuel, God 
with us. And you promised, Lord, that you will never abandon us. You promised, O Lord, that you will be with us through the fire, through the storms. And Lord, that is enough. That is sufficient, O God. We celebrate your birth. We celebrate your life. We celebrate your death and your resurrection. We celebrate you, Lord Jesus, for this is your season. This is your glory. This is for your honor. And we give you praise. We give you our gratitude, O oh God. We give you thanks. For you have been so faithful in our unworthiness. You have been so faithful. And Lord, we just thank you. We commit you this ministry. We commit you, O oh God. Pastor Mel, Sister Marie, the rest of his workers, his elders, his ministers, oh God, we commit you, each and every member of this gathering, each and every household, oh Lord, fill us with your intimacy, fill us with your nearness, fill us with your wholeness, oh Jesus, that we may truly realize that you are sufficiently more than enough, and we give you praise. Hallelujah, Jesus. We give you praise. In your name, amen and amen. God bless you.